and and this guy basically when they were little grabbed the hound's head and stuck it in a brazier uh, like a fire, not 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 a bra. <laughs> 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 he got his head stuck in a bra. <laughs> stuck it in this enormous woman's bosom until he suffocated. Poor guy, he was, he was dicing with a prostitute ten minutes ago. And now and he's dead. Spear in his belly, and he's dead. You have this sort of badass grandpa. Never mind. Never yeah. mind. Is that movie that came out bad grandpa? I don't want that. I want badass grandpa. <laughs> This episode is entitled The Wolf and the Lion. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And yeah, this this part of the book, we're about halfway through the book now. And we're going to be reading from, if you read the paperback HarperCollins version, from page 285 to 372, which begins with a chapter with Sansa and ends with a chapter about Eddard. Okay, so uh, so just a, a couple of couple of things briefly. If you're coming to us for the first time, what we do, um, we take a book. This time it's Game of Thrones. Break it down into a load of sections, and then just just sort of re sort of go through it page by page and analyze it and talk about what we like and what we don't, and you know decisions that characters make, which sometimes great, sometimes dreadful, and the various things about that. I'm up to sort of halfway through Game of Thrones now, and. Uh, yeah, are you ready to get back into it, Dave? I'm more than ready, Matt. I was born ready. Our first chapter for today is it's a Sansa chapter, your favourite. Oh yeah, she, and, well, um, she's always a well balanced um, and an entirely sympathetic presence, isn't she? Yeah. So this is Sansa at the uh, this the, ha- the hands tournament, which we've we've been hearing about for a while, and it's finally going ahead. It's this big uh, tournament in honour of uh, the new Hand of the King, Ned. Uh, I know that's what it is, but I'm sorry. I, I've got to say that it, it it does sound a bit more like a sort of conjuring convention. The, yeah. the Hands tournament is a tournament that takes place entirely between people who want to test the dexterity of their hands. Nothing <laughs> at all to do with like horses or anything. It's just like, now, he's, <laughs> now it's the King of Diamonds, now it's the Queen of Spades. Hey, <laughs> top that. <laughs> yeah, and um, what would the winner get from that? It's a new pair of gloves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but you understand in a medieval society, a well-embroidered pair of gloves would be a beautiful prize. Yeah, well, um, as as we see, there's a there's a family called Glovers, and um, they're doing relatively well. No, so. get out! Brilliant. Yeah, I was no, just seriously. talking nonsense, and you see, that's that's why that's why you're a professional, Matt. You see, you bring it down. <laughs> you bring it down. Bring it all wow. back to the um, to the matter at hand. Beautiful. <laughs> so, the, are we are we rooting for the Glovers now in this contest? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think that they're they're bannermen to the Starks, so oh, they're generally considered good guys, I suppose. Yeah. If you if you're if you're one of those people who are into good guys, bad guys. Well, that's an interesting um, thing, actually, isn't it? Like, are we, are, would you say as a, as a podcast we're pulling for the Starks? Like, are yeah. we are we a pro Stark podcast? Or are we going to going to be a bit more kind of nuanced than that? I think most most people reading it, uh, us included, you sort of naturally inclined to side with the Starks, aren't you? Yeah. Because they seem they sort of more well for a start. Mo- most of the point of view characters are Starks. Yeah. You've got John. You've got Ned. You've got Arya, Sansa, and the only point of, other other ones who aren't. I mean, Daenerys obviously, and then Tyrion. Yeah. So, so you are naturally inclined to you're you're almost sitting with the Starks all the time. It's almost their story, isn't it, at the moment? 
That's true, I suppose. I just, I, I, I always kind of instinctively, I end up wanting to go for somebody else. Um, <laughs> but that's just bloody mindedness, isn't it, really? I can't, I can't look at this story and be like, well, you know, Ned and Caitlin and John and Arya and Sansa are, yeah, they're all very well and good. But Tyrion, eh? Eh, particularly for the family. Lovely family. Yeah, that would be a bit silly. Sorry, carry on. This is all purposeless. Carry on. We we, we do shift. I think as as the books go on, you do shift slightly, and you get some POV, uh, some chapters, just uh, from Jamie's point of view and from Cersei's point of view. Do you? But yeah, yeah. So it does shift slightly. That would be very interesting because you know, like they've been so far uh, in the book, but also in the TV series. Those characters have seemed to me to be quite. Well sketched, but basically just baddies. You know, if you hiss when they come on mm. screen, you're not really doing anything wrong. Yeah. Um, so I'll be interested to see how that plays out. Actually, didn't know. Yeah. That. So um, back back to the present, and we're at this tournament, and this is, um, I mean, for the most part, this is the sort of uh, the good part of medieval life, I suppose, because it's all seen in a it's seen through Sansa's eyes. So, and she's ah, obviously yeah. a big lover of pomp and ceremony. So it's it's seen in a very um, positive way, and you've got all the pageantry, you've got the knights showing up in their splendid armor, and uh, just it's just a, a massive, it's basically a massive show for the um, for the for, for, for anybody who wants to come along and see. So everybody, you know, if you're a peasant and all day you're just stuck in a field trying to you know grow whatever you can, and then. You go home and sleep, and then the next day you're up at the crack of dawn doing it again. Yeah. This is a nice change. You can actually see some some action if you like, which doesn't involve you getting killed. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's the standard action experience for a peasant, isn't it? You were there. Yeah. Come and hold this pike and stand facing all those other poor people waving pikes, and then run towards them quickly. <laughs> It'll be worth it. I'll tell you how <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. So this is the closest they get to, I suppose, to, to a bit of sports. Um, and you can back your uh, your champion and, and see how they do. So you got people from all over um, the all over Westeros coming to to sort of try their hand. Um, the North doesn't do particularly well, actually. the the best The best guy they've got in it, it seems to be Jory Castle, who's the uh, mm. he's the master, he, he's the sort of is he the captain of the guard for uh, for for Ned Stark's house. So he's he's basically quite high up anyway. He's the yeah. he's the nephew of. Good old Sir Roderick with the whiskers. Oh, classic! Um, but if the, you want to sort of make connection there, I yeah, do, yes, I do. If anybody's related to Sir Roderick Castle, he instantly becomes better, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, so he does relatively well, but uh, the rest of the North doesn't do particularly uh, cover themselves in a lot of glory. There's a there's a nice I want to talk about a bit later, but we'll just sort of put him to side for now. It's called Bronze Yon Royce, um, and he's the guy. He's got this this armor with runes on it. And it's supposed to help protect him, and he does quite well, but eventually gets unhorsed by somebody. Right. Um, would that be? Hang on, Royce. Would this be? Would this be a relative of the um, the young princeling we saw get his ass handed to him in the first in the opening scene by the the white Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a Royce, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. They will be. Yeah, they will be related. Um, Way Waymar Royce is the guy who um, uh, who gets killed at the very start. <clears throat> Yeah, in the Night's Watch, he's actually Bronze Jon Royce's son. Is his third son. So you've got Andar and Robar are the other two, right. and Waymar. I assume as as the third son, he's sort of a bit 
he's not really going to... This is what often <laughs> happens to... Exactly, yeah. This is what often happens to... He's, he's so far... He's a bit too far down the uh, pecking order to get any sort of lands. So yeah. he's, packed him, he's been packed off to the Night's Watch, and this is what sometimes happens to younger lord uh, lordlings, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll talk more about, about his dad, Bronjion, a bit later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but if just just flicking through what happens here, there's a there's a knight that is actually killed. I mean, this the knights aren't supposed to, as a general rule, die in these tournaments. But um, one of the knights doesn't fit his armor properly, mm. and he rides against um, the mountain, um, which is uh, uh, Gregor Clegane. It's uh, the hound's older brother, and he's um, and he's killed because he's while well, they joust him. Yeah, yeah. He sort of raises his lance, the hound, and he hits it, hits the guy in the neck, and and kills him stone dead. <laughs> so, uh, and Sansa sees Sansa sees that as a bit of a you know it's a bit of a shock to her, but she doesn't seem to she seems to take it in a stride. Um, yeah, because it's all part of the rules, isn't it? You know, this is this horrifying idea that yeah. somebody dying is something to shrug at, which which was yeah. you know kind of I think characteristic of this sort of um, the period of history this draws on. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's another knight um, as a who's who we're introduced to here called the Knight of Flowers, um, which is uh, he's this very young, uh, very rich knight called Solorus Tyrrell, and we find out later that the Tyrells are, uh, are a very powerful family mm. who we haven't really heard much of yet. But he um, he gives Sansa a rose in this big sort of grand gesture in front of everybody, and she's extremely moved by that. And yeah. um, and he, ob- he obviously seems to he can equip himself quite quite well as well. He's he's, he's doing pretty well in the Jason tournament, right? Um, so little, little so are we are we set up for a love triangle here? Is that what's happening? Um, well, I think obviously you've seen it through Sansa's eyes, and she thinks this is a big moment where you know she's she, she's she's going to end up marrying Joffrey. But it's nice to have a bit of attention from this very dashing <laughs> young knight as well. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, we'll, no, that's true. We'll see how that goes. Um, at the end. Um, we find out at the feast after the first day of this tournament, all mm. isn't quite right still between her and Joffrey, who, as we remember last time, he was all pissed off because he got Savage attacked in front of her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and this this time he's he's quite cold with her. Uh, at the end, it seems like things are going quite well, and then he packs her off to a room and he says like oh do you need a, an escort back to your room and she's like oh yeah I would do thinking here we go <laughs> and he goes right okay well uh, sends, sends his guard to just take her back to the <laughs> oh it's magnificent isn't it it's, it's the it's the going to shake somebody's hand and then just running your hand through your hair when they go to take your hand it's yeah, that yeah. but for courting and how arrogant do you have to be as, uh, to be Joffrey, to be a teenage boy, and still be like, she's gonna marry we. Whatever happens, so I think I'm gonna <laughs> shit her up a bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. What a tool. So, 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 so his guard, the hound, takes her back to her rooms, and on the way, um, he he tells her about his backstory, about his relationship with his older brother, mm. um, which is you will find out how the hounds, um, this character is got a terribly scarred face, like half of his face is normal mm. and the other half is just almost burned away. Yeah. And um, and the reason for this is when he was younger, he stole a toy from his older brother, um, who's this monstrous knight. And um, his who older we, brother... Who we've just but, seen killing somebody in a tournament when he wasn't supposed yeah, to kill someone, right? Yeah, yeah. 
And and this guy basically, when they were little, grabbed the hound's head and stuck it in a brazier, uh, like a fire, not 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 a bra. <laughs> <laughs> Got his head stuck it in a bra. I don't know what happened next, but his face melted. Stuck it, it in this woman. <laughs> stuck it in this enormous woman's bosom until he <laughs> suffocated. No, he stuck it in a um, he stuck it in a fire and held it there till oh, you know. Obviously, his, half his face burned away. Yeah. And the hound's very, obviously, still extremely bitter about this and said, he says, you know, I was given ointments to heal my um, my wounds and a couple of years later, you know, my older brother was given the sort of ointments as he's anointed as a knight and that's just the way things work in this world. Yeah, so it's interesting, isn't it? Because the hound is this... Because we've seen him before, haven't we, riding down um, Arya's mate, the butcher's boy. Yeah. Um you know, so he's clearly very loyal to this to to Joffrey, who, if you think about it, must be quite similar in, in kind of outlook to the mountain. Um you know, thoughtlessly cruel, incredibly full of his own power and absolutely certain that he's gonna be, you know, he whatever the game of life is, he's gonna come up at the winner. Yeah. Um, as an older child and an heir, you know, Joffrey's an heir to the throne so it's it's so strange to see somebody who's like this um, emblem of brutal power, the source of that kind of power and intimidation himself being, you know, wounded and hurt and a victim of this of this social system and the the, the world that he grew up in, and it's mm. it's interesting. I mean, that's a huge tension, surely. Like he can't he can't be lost on him that his whole life is built around helping another person to be more like the brother that scarred him for life. Yeah. Okay, let's m- move on to uh, the next chapter, which is about Ned. And uh, they, he, he's basically visiting... The, we find out the knight who was killed in the tournament was Sir Hugh, who, as we know, used to squire for John Arryn, who the, the ex-hand oh, of the king was killed. Who may yeah. or may not have been killed. So is Vice, that, yeah. So is this, is this a is this a move? Is there something going on in the corridors of power against anybody who had anything to do with John Aaron? Well, see, well, it it seems so. It seems that he may have known something about John Aaron's death, and he died before Ned could speak to him. And when, um, I mean, in the last chapter, when Sansa says to the Hound, "Oh, it was a terrible accident. What happened to, uh, you know, what the Mountain did." And the hound sort of laughs and says, "You know, the mountains lance goes where it wants to, where he wants it to." And he basically saw that uh, that Sir Hugh hadn't fitted his armor properly and and killed him. Yeah, so yeah. so it's a it's a vindictive, it's a strike, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a, a nice little moment here where we're, another good example of just Ned just being decent, where um, he says. To Sir Barristan, he says, "Send the the send send the, send his armor to his mother. Send Sir Hugh's armor to his mother." Uh, and um, mm. and 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 someone says, "Oh well, he, we can't because he hasn't paid it off yet." And he said, "Look, you know, the crown will pay off whatever he owes. Just send that to his mother." And it just it just yeah. it's just another example of it. He does these kind of little touches, doesn't he? Where he just he treats people well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and- no he's no reason to do that. He won't get he won't gain anything from. From sending that to this grieving, this grieving mother, but it's a, it's a nice touch. But again, it's it's a sign of the kind of 
the contrast between you know good good chivalry and bad chivalry you know this you know because this yeah. is a very brutal world but you do have and mostly from the starks glimpses of this kind of yeah i mean we said it before haven't we this this idea of aristocracy and noblesse oblige and if you're powerful then that actually leads you to you know the necessity of greater service and so on and um and while I think Game of Thrones presents a much more powerful argument against aristocracy than for it, you can sort of see why, way back in the day, people were willing to follow good lords like Ned Stark. Um, yeah. Because they do things <clears throat> like this. Yeah. Um, now, the, we, we move on to uh, <laughs> this meeting with the king. Um, king Robert has decided that he's going to fight in the melee this afternoon. And um, obviously Ned thinks this is a dreadful idea. Uh, one, because the king is in no fit shape to do to do so. <laughs> and two, it might make a mockery of, of everything, really. Yeah. Um, the, we, when Ned walks in, um, the, the, the king's two squires are trying to fit him into his armour, and his armour's too small. And in the end, the, he sends one of them off to find the breastplate stretcher, which is, is it's one of those... No, it's not. It's one of those. It's like um, what you. It's one of those in jokes that you do to like, you know, like um, asking someone to go and get a can of tartan paint or something like that, <laughs> and they go off and do it. <laughs> so he says, find the breastplate. Find the breastplate. No, well, clearly he would have had me going. I would have been running all over King's Landing. Yeah, could you go and fetch us some spirit level bubbles? You know, things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where do they make the holes that go in donuts? <laughs> yeah. Um, so he has a bit of fun with that, but um, there's a, I mean, it's it's just a, a really clear example here of how King, the King Robert just he wishes to be back to that stage. Yes, he says to Ned, "I was never so alive as when I was winning the throne, or so dead as now that I'm on it." Um, well, yeah, because and that just sums Robert up, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, he was this. You feel that the, the sort of glory days of him are really behind him. He was suited to leading a rebellion. And he was completely he's completely unsuited to actually being a king. Yeah, to governing. Um mm. and that's and that's the big you know, that's the big distinction, isn't it? That's the big tragedy of what Robert's yeah. all about, actually. Yeah, another there's another insight into Joffrey as well. Because um Robert says he's genuinely considered running off um to, you know, sailing across the narrow sea and becoming a an exile king. And just just becoming just you know, for the, just because of his boredom, ba- yeah, yeah, becoming effectively the leader of a band of mercenaries and just living like that. And you feel he would genuinely be a lot happier doing it. He would love it, wouldn't and, he? Just killing whoever he wants. Yeah, but uh, he says the reason he doesn't and the reason he's stayed in misery is to keep his son off the throne <laughs> because he says he he, he he says he couldn't he doesn't he, the thought of see, of Joffrey being on the throne here yeah is um. Is what's keeping him from doing that, and that, and and Ned sort of feels the need to defend Joffrey, and and he, he's finally Robert says you you don't know him as I do, yeah, um, which makes you think, you know, if this is his own son, yeah, and if Robert's saying that about him, and he's he's not exactly a um, a particularly he's not a great king uh, himself, is he? No, exactly, <laughs> and and he's. He, He's not exactly the kind of you would imagine the strictest parent, and if he thinks there's something seriously wrong, you just is, wonder is there is there another darker side to that as well? Yeah, like what on earth has he seen his son doing, such that mm. 
that he thinks that because yeah like I say he's not exactly like a shining example of chivalrous kingship himself he's got you know he's shagging all over town he's well known in the brothels he's useless at governing never turns up to the small council spends money left right and centre has beggared the place and and even he's he's on the throne going look I mean I am no oil painting kingship wise (laughs) but compared to him I'm I'm you know I'm Elizabeth the first (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that i mean that 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 adds another level of of worry you, you think if he thinks it's a bad idea he really must yeah have the makings of a poor king joffrey well and, um, and we've seen a bit of that haven't we you know this kind of smarmy slimy vindictive and brutal kind of coward that we've seen yeah. at various points i'm thinking i'm thinking particularly of the um of the thing with uh with the wolves and the um, you know the kind of telling whatever lie makes him look as good as possible. We move on and we see this uh, the, the culmination of this jousting tournament, where the Knight of Flowers goes up against um, the Mountain and wins because it's a bit of a s- sneaky trick. Uh, the Knight of Flowers <clears throat> rides a, a mare and he knows that the the guy's uh, the, the Mountain's horse is in heat. <laughs> So it got, the, the horse goes a bit mad and, it, it, and it cuts off the and, and that's how he wins. And in the end, the, the, uh, the mountain's so angry that he cuts his horse's head off and advances on Soloris to kill him as well, we assume. Yeah. And it's, it's only the intervention of, of the hound, so the, the other brother, um, which stops it. So there's this big sort of sword fight between the hound and, the, uh, oh, and his brother, yeah. the mountain, which ends when the king says, stop. And the the hound just sort of goes down to one knee, and his brother like takes this wild swing and misses him, and then sort of comes back to his senses and, and stops as well. Bloody so hell! It's a, it's a it's a great it's a great moment in the book and in the series. Yeah, he drops to his knees, and that's the only thing that stops him getting killed. Um, yeah. What's wrong with the mountain as well? Like, uh, what's yeah. going on in this in this character's brain that he's mm. he's just got this murderous rage directed to he's a proper psychopath he just wants to kill everything oh, yeah. yeah this guy is um as much as anyone in in the in any of the books a complete psychopath is is an enormous it's this enormous i think 8 foot tall <laughs> man um who i mean the, the, we get a bit of description about his court and you know um yeah. he, he his sort of home life and his his father died in suspicious circumstances. Uh, there are various sort other of horrible. He's had two wives who have died in suspicious circumstances. A third one on the way. Um, as soon as uh, it's, it's a horror, it's, it's known as this terrible like place to be within <laughs> this household. Yeah. And as soon as soon as the as soon as the head dies, as soon as um, this guy's dad died, um, the hound um, left and came to court straight away because obviously you get the feeling he would be next yeah um so yeah i mean the mountain is yeah a complete psychopath yeah and and I, well i mean it's, it's pointless it's pointless kind of speculating is that what on earth turns somebody who's born with all the privilege in the world into such a character um mm. but yeah but you know all you need to see you see in this fight don't you you know the yeah. um the you know the kneel the swing the the total you know, ruthless rage. Tell you what I wonder about, though, is um, why does the Hound get into it? What, what stakes he got in Sir Loris? Yeah, this is a good question. Um, and 
I think it's uh, it's hard to it's hard to tell, but I think it's more about the Hound's got a very strange um, view of honour and being a knight, and in in some ways he's 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 not he he's a, he doesn't sit comfortably with being a knight at all mm. because he, he he hates the the ceremony he doesn't do any of the niceties he <laughs> wouldn't be like you know there's you know the Solaris thing where he hands a rose to to Sansa yeah there's this big show of gallantry he he finds that stuff really distasteful yeah but at the same time he's more of a knight in the things that really matter than many of the others whereas he he, he kind of does stand up for weaker people and he, he he doesn't like to see things getting um, the sort of stronger people getting an upper hand or doing things unfairly, which is this is an example of it, I suppose. Well, that's true though, but he's he is the instrument of a lot of that sort of behaviour from yeah. from um, Joffrey, isn't he? Because Joffrey yeah, wouldn't be Joffrey wouldn't be yeah yeah the butcher's boy. Like I mean, Joffrey wouldn't be nearly as terrifying if he didn't have this guy whose whole job description is shit up the people I tell you to shit up. Yeah. So it's an interesting. I think. I mean, it just it serves to make again. This is it's so nice to be in the hands of, of an author who you think is actually going to do something with all of these apparent contradictions. Because in, mm. in you know in a lesser book, I would be this character makes no sense at all. Why do you? But with George Martin, what I'm thinking is that's interesting. There is there's an interesting conflict within this character, and I wonder how that's going to play out in what happens yeah. in the future. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm yeah yeah. Um, the very end of this chapter, um, we have this visit. Ned receives a visit from Varys, the eunuch, and it moves the plot along slightly because we find out um, Varys basically says John Arryn was killed and he was poisoned by this very rare poison called the Tears of Lys, which is odourless and um, colourless and is very hard to detect. <laughs> so he says he was he was poisoned. Yeah, and 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 Varys also says there's a plot to. There was a, there's a plot to kill the king, and um, it was carried out today, but it failed because Ned prevented Robert from actually entering the melee, because the, he very says wow. basically because all the night before, um, Cersei was getting at Robert, saying there's no way you you should be able, you'll be allowed to fight in the melee. Yeah. So obviously, the one thing guaranteed to make Robert decide to fight in the melee <laughs> yeah, is his, his wife, wife saying he can't do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, so that's why he was all up for it. And what Varys is saying is basically, if he had entered today, there would have been some kind of accident in the middle of this massive press of everybody fighting. Yeah. That um that someone would have made a mistake and and accidentally killed Robert. Oops! I killed the king. Received, yeah, and then would have been probably pardoned because of how grief-stricken they were. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe the Lannister would have just got just rid of kill him to make just, it for, the, just for the sake of it. <laughs> but one way or another, the king would have been dead this evening if it wasn't for Ned convincing him not to fight in the melee. Well, that's interesting. Isn't it? I, I wonder about the, the melee, just as a sidebar here. Like, I'm <laughs> no expert, but how is, it, how is it a good idea to have a contest... Just for the sake of it, just just because you feel like having a bit of a bit of a knees up, where yeah. all of the people on whom your political structure rests are encouraged to try and hack each other apart for the entertainment of other people. Like, I mean, is yeah. it a melee with like wooden swords, or are they actually? It's, tr- with, bl- it, 
It's with blunted blades. But they're yeah. still trying to... So you, so you can't chop each other to pieces. Well, yeah, but there's a good amount of damage you can do with a bloody... You know, you've got a longsword that's sort of, whatever they are, six foot long or whatever. It's still made yeah. out of metal. It's still going to break somebody's leg, isn't it? You still, you know, do some damage to their head or something. Like, I, yeah, it, it's yeah, all a bit... It a melee, really? Was that a thing in, in the real world, or is this just a fantasy world kind of... Yeah, I think it was. I think you're, you because this is the tournament's in three parts. There's the the jousting, which let's be honest is is equally oh, immense. That's if you think very about true. It. But at least it's only one against one. Do you know what I mean? At least there's yeah. only at least you, what you're risking there is two people or however you know you do do five contests, ten people, fine. But a melee yeah. is just seems to be like a kind of um, production line approach to killing your yeah. leadership. It's just all of you who know yeah. how to read and write and add up and use swords and, and who we inexplicably give all this power to, aren't you going to kill each other? All of you at once. Yeah, I mean, I've got no time to hang around. What? Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think I think the melee is... Um... Is ten, tends to be the people of lower rank get involved in that, and the the richer uh, and the laws tend to joust. All right, um, all right. So that that's how it would normally work. Um, and then the third one is the archery contest, which is much more um, humane. <laughs> you just, yeah, <laughs> let's you be just honest. That's where we'd be, Matt, isn't it? If we were allowed yeah, in the tournament, we'd be jousting. Oh, not so much on horses, to be honest. Malay, to be honest, I just show you all up. Archery, though. That's uh, yeah. no problem there, no worries. Definitely. <laughs> uh, the guy who wins the archery contest, just as a little aside, is a guy called Angie, who's um, from, uh, I think it's from, from Dawn or something like that. But, um, I mean, he, he just wins it and then he's offered a place in uh, in Ned's household and he turns it down. But he will pop up again later in the book. Oh, will so he? Just oh, worth, all right, cool. Yeah, mention him. So he's obviously a very talented archer. Um, let's let's move away from King's Landing for a while and join Tyrion, who's um, it turns out he obviously he's been captured by Caitlin and she's taking him to somewhere called the Eyrie, which we've not heard of before, and it's where um, her sister lives basically. Another part of Westeros, which is um, relatively powerful. Her sister used to be married to, <clears throat> if you remember, John Arryn, Han- old Hand of the King, and she's she's now back in sort of her home place in a, in the Eyrie. Caitlin's going towards the basically to um to, to avoid getting chased down by the Lannisters. She knows as soon as the Lannisters find out that she's got Tyrion, they're going to come looking for him. Yeah. And they're expecting her to be trying to get back to Winterfell. So she's pulling the old switcheroo. She's told everybody, <laughs> including Tyrion, that they're heading up the King's Road, and then she's she's shot off in the opposite dire- in sort of a different direction, yeah. and uh, making for the Eyrie. Cunning, you see, she's a, she's a sharp cookie, this Caitlin, when she's not getting a bit yeah. overheated about yeah. about people killing her children. Fair enough. Yeah, you know she she's um she's got strategy in her brain. This one. Yeah, there's um. Tyrion casts doubt on um, on this uh, on on this this question of uh, whether he was the one who tried to kill Bran. Um, well, beha- whether he was behind the attack on Bran, where he says, you know, eventually, I think it's the end of this chapter. He says, "Why would I arm my assassin with my own blade? That'd be just stupid." Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's questions, questions there, um, and Tyrion, so Tyrion makes quite a strong case. Um, there's this, there's this battle in this, um, in this chapter on the road to the Eyrie. Basically, they're trying to make it to the Eyrie. This group, and the road there 
they've got to travel through these pretty wild lands, which are um, with, with a lot of sort of barbarians in there, if you like. They're called the Hill Tribes. <laughs> and they get attacked by, this group get attacked by the Hill Tribes. And it's a cracking battle scene, which you can't really do in the series. So, um, and you have this this tension in the in the series. They're basically standing around talking. This group and they, they're ambushed. And there's and before you know it, swords are flying. You know, stones and arrows are flying, and swords are swishing, and it's over within seconds. In this one, um, a lookout sees these horsemen coming towards them. So they all, so the group get ready and sort of form up, and everyone gets on the horses and they get ready for the battle, and then it comes down and and, and you have this long scene, mm. and I don't know, it's just a good example of where you know the book has an unlimited budget, so you can do this in a much bigger way than the series could. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's a great, I think it's a great um, section to be honest. Um, I was interested in the idea of these hill tribes because to this point we have this idea of. Of, of Westeros being pretty kind of locked down, and um, and you know lords lording it over whichever bits, and their whole job description is to keep things pacified. But as it turns out there's these massive long stretches of road where mm. whoever the lord is isn't really in control, and mm. um, and uh, and and it just serves to make the the is it the eerie the eerie. It's the eerie, it's, I think. It's the That's eerie. how they pronounce it in the series. All oh, right, so. okay. So I, I just want it to be the eerie because I like the idea of it being like a, a Bob Marley reference, but never mind. Eerie, eerie. <laughs> you see, it would be much better. Everybody would be a much more, much more chilled out in Westeros if there was Bob Marley on the stereos, which haven't been invented. But you know. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so it serves to make the eerie seem far away and seem very isolated and kind of yeah. bring I think we're gonna we've got some more stuff in the area, haven't we, during this section? Yeah. Um yeah, like so make it make it seem a lot less accessible. You know, it's not just a trip down the road. And you're right, yeah. the battle scene's ridiculous. Like it's 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 brilliant <laughs> stuff. I just I I love it from start to end. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, there's always some named person who dies in these as well. In this case, <laughs> it's the, the Star Trek red shirt syndrome, isn't it? Here's somebody yeah. who's just been named, and now a battle scene has died. Wonder who's going to die. Yeah, and the, I mean, there's was, there's was one in this one. Uh, one of the Lannister guardsmen who are with Tyrion, who are also been captured, they're all given weapons to help defend the group because the <clears throat> so, so desperate the situation. And uh, this one called Jack, he uh, gets a sword, leaps on the back of this horse of bareback and charges into the fray. And you think, flipping heck, he can handle himself a bit. A page later, he's dead. So, <laughs> you know, and it, it's, it's just a good example of just how um, how quick life's just taken away. I was going to say... You can eat... Sorry, Karen. Go on. No, no, you go on. I was going to say, well, I mean, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Is this about Jack being, like, foolishly overconfident? Or is this just about the harshness and the reality of life? Like, does he does yeah. he fail because he's he's prone to it, or is he actually a badass who comes to a bad end? Well, T- Tyrion seems to consider him a fool. Um, I can't remember the exact line, but in that chapter, when, when he's looking at Jack after he's died, he says he thinks something like, "You know, he he died the way he lived, like as a as a, as a, as a fool." Really. Yeah. 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 Well, but Tyrion is going to think that, isn't he? Because Tyrion's whole mm. conception of power can't res- revolve around, like you know, skill with a sword. So his yeah. his thing is, I, I 
I mean, that was an interesting moment, isn't it? Because he doesn't, his first instinct isn't kind of sympathy or, you know, a human has died. It's, mm. you idiot, why were you, you know, and in a way it's a critique yeah. of the whole system of like kind of, um, you know, physical prowess as a way of ensuring yeah. power. And Tyrion's there going, well, I'm still alive and I'm a lot smaller than you. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it is Tyrion. You know, for all that I like him, he's not a cuddly character in that moment. No, Tyrion as well um, is a quite a fights quite well in this. He, he gets himself an axe and he, he chops a few people down. Um, and also, Caitlin, uh, <laughs> given the chance, um, she ends up opening up at someone's throat for them as well. So. Um, <laughs> You know, the, everyone's pretty violent here. Even the coaches you don't consider particularly violent. Yeah. They, they're not afraid to fight for their lives. The, the, the only exception to it is the singer who's knocking about <laughs> so, with them. Would that be the singer, useless. Marillion? Would that be? <laughs> yeah, Marillion. Was this, do you reckon this was all a setup to subtly diss the band Marillion? In naming a bard Marillion and then putting him in the middle of a fight scene and having him just sit in the corner crying and not able to handle himself at all. Do you reckon George was once kind of shunned by Marillion backstage or something. Now he's like, right, you fuckers. <laughs> it could be. There could be something in it. There's there's another thing as well, the final thing I was saying about this battle. Mm. Uh, Sir Roderick once again flirts <sighs> with death. Of course he does, um, he, but he, death flirts he comes with him out, and death loves it. <laughs> yeah. He comes out with a massive gash on his left arm and a spear graze to his neck, um, but he still survives. So, I mean, this guy is seems to be extremely hard to kill because uh, he's come close to death about four times now and he's clinging on with the uh, sort of the, with a death grip if you like I'll tell you what I think how I think of him and this is obviously extremely influenced by the TV series but I do think of him as being like a kind of grandfatherly figure like in my head yeah. he's not he's not like a parent's age he's a grandparent's age and, I think he and is this, that old in the, in the book, yeah. There you go. So you have this sort of badass grandpa. Never mind, never yeah. mind that movie that came out, Bad Grandpa. I don't want that. I want badass grandpa. <laughs> I want a grandpa who's like sort of, I took, let me tell you, a spear to the neck. Yeah. <laughs> and what was the other thing? Like somebody tried to chop off his legs or something, and he's like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, well, if you think about it, I mean, Sir Roderick is—he's the—he's the master of arms at, at Winterfell. Yeah. His nephew Jory, um, has, is the captain of the guard, so he's an, he's pretty old um, oh, to yeah. listen to that position. Yeah. So yeah, Sir Roderick's uh, is sort of grandfatherly, um, a grandfatherly yeah. behemoth. Like that's, yeah. I just I love that idea. I just there's something that I, I I really dig the idea of this like old fella being like I know you're all younger than me, but you're all going to die by my hands. So come on. Yeah, so Barrison's very similar. The the Lord Commander of the King's Guard. Oh, he's yeah. quite old as well, yeah. but he's still absolutely badass. The kind of guy who's got so good at not dying that he's you know he's basically now he's been weathered like teak, you know, and yeah. like stuff just bounces off of him. Yeah. He's evergreen. Evergreen. <laughs> He's rolling back the years. <laughs> How many other song titles do you want to try and get into? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's shoot back to King... We've got quite a lot still to get through. Right. Back in King's Landing um, with Arya, she's catching cats, and um, we find out she's... This is an exercise she's been set by her, her uh, swords, swordsman, the, the trainer. Love this fella's homework every time. Stand on one leg, go and catch cats. Yeah. 
going catch cats and she's caught most of the cats but there's there's this really wily old black tom cat which she's been struggling to get hold of and they've had, there's this running battle between her and the cat and she <laughs> eventually gets it in this chapter um but um as she saw in a moment of victory she's uh she's seen by uh basically princess mycella and prince tommen <clears throat> two of the siblings of uh joffrey mm. And um, they don't realise who she is, and uh, they think she's just some kind of little scroll that's managed to creep into the castle. Yeah, yeah. And um, she ends up running away from them um, and into that big cellar of dragon skulls, which we heard Tyrion oh, uh, has yeah. been wandering around him. And further down there, past that, further down into the depths of the Red Keep, she comes across these two people plotting. Um, now I don't know how much we can say about this without spoiling things. But at the moment, there are these two individuals. Uh, one of them is this enormous fat bloke with a with a sort of dyed, forked beard, who sounds like he's from somewhere that isn't Westeros. And the other is uh, a guy who um, talks about how he needs more funding for more of his little birds to um, mm. to, to get a feel for what's going on. So, I mean, I think there are a few big clues as to who these two people are in that. But um, they're basically talking about... It sounds like they're trying to manipulate what's going on here and they're talking about this 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 civil war that's about to happen, it seems, between involving the Starks and the Lannisters and which way the crown's going to go. Mm. It's all very difficult to decipher at this point, isn't it? It is. And it's... I, I mean, you know, this is a well-visited sort of thing. In books... And it infuriates you as much as it sort of titillates you when um, when authors yeah. are like kind of, well, all you've got is the words I'm going to write, so I'm going to write in a frustratingly oblique way. And it's, yeah. you know, I'm 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 not at all kind of um, overjoyed by mystery. I'm like, just tell me who it is, this plot, yeah. and it's so close to me, but I can't understand who it is. So I don't, I don't <laughs> think it's just, I don't think it'd be spoilers at all for us to speculate based on what we know up to this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, who be? So I don't know. Who do you reckon it is? Um. Well. Um. Yeah. I suppose there's no there's no sort of definite answer. No. Yeah. Certainly not. I. I think that it's the uh, the, the the fat guy from abroad seems quite clear to be Ilrio. Ilrio. Um, you know the guy in Pen- the guy in Pensos, the merchant who's backing. Oh. Um, Daenerys. Yeah. G- I. I did not think of that. Yeah. Seriously, like I I mean I have my own theory, but you carry on. I think it's him. Mm. And I, I think the I think the the guy with the little birds is is Varys because he's got he he's, he he calls his spies little birds. So that would that would be what would suggest those two characters to me. Yeah. I was I'm definitely with you on Varys. Like he talks a lot about having spies and that you know, we've heard before that that's mm. his kind of role on the council is to be the sort of information broker. Um yeah. slightly questionable act of, of governance creation there, by the way, whoever set that system up. <laughs> Let's give all the spies to one guy. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, may I mean presumably it's not actually that way, it's just that Varys has all these spies and he's so powerful that you can't not have him on the council. But um yeah. uh, presumably it's who that. do you think who do you think who do you think plotter number two is then? Well, you know, when I read it, I didn't pick up the clues as well as you did, and I'm probably a victim of my own sort of 
you know, I, I tend to read quite quickly and it's not unheard of for me to miss massive plot points because I'm reading too quickly. Um, so um, I, I thought this was Littlefinger. I thought it was oh. Varys and Littlefinger kind of conspiring together. And I thought, and you know, I thought there's no reason why one, you know, Littlefinger can't come from somewhere, somewhere abroad. Um, yeah. And he hasn't. I suppose we haven't heard very much about his facial hair, so I could be wrong. But so I thought that yeah. this was that this was a great example of the sort of um, oh. uh, of kind of like a council inside the small council, because um, mm. they're definitely the two slimiest customers on the small council. Um, yeah. Littlefinger and uh, and Varys. So I thought, you know, oh, this is kind of this is interesting, um, you know. Um, but well, we shall see. Because I thought I'm I'm, I'm no... quite in, I'm quite I'm quite taken by your idea. To be honest, I think it could be Illyrio. But yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, he's, he's Illyrio's like he talks about what if he's Varys. Varys says I need um, more money for fifty more of my little birds. Which seems like quite a lot, and imagine what? they're not going to come cheap. But that's and sorry. and so yeah, go on. Oh, I no. suppose yeah, because little thing is the master of color. yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh. You see that? That's, yeah, yeah. Like that's that's what I thought. I thought well, he he needs more money. The man with the money, he's the man with the spies, and he's famous for that. And yeah. um, and little thing is the man with the cash, and he's famous for that. Yeah, it's possible, isn't it? Yeah. It's absolutely possible. Intrigue, Matthew. Okay, <laughs> okay. so um, are you? Eventually runs back to the red. She finds her way out of the dungeons. Finds out that she's <clears throat> she's come out somewhere in King's Landing. Makes her way back up to the red keep. Manages to get back in after having a quite a funny argument with the two guards on the door, who think she's just some scraggly little. <laughs> Everybody thinks she's some scraggly little scrope because that's basically that's, how she. That's looks. what she looks like, and that's what she wants to look like as well, isn't it? She she hates the idea of dressing up like a lady, so she yeah. is running around dressed as a. You know, whatever. Yeah, well, she, she only gets back in after threatening to have the heads on a spike um, <laughs> because she's like, "Am I a star?" Can you imagine talking <laughs> that way when you were? How old was she supposed to be? Seven. Seven yeah, seven or eight. Seven, seven, nine. Nine. Yeah. So, uh, nine years old. I will have your head on a spike and not just being laughed out of the place. Like, what sort of a society is it where a nine-year-old can get what they want by threatening to have somebody executed? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, she. She, she's taken to Ned for basically for a bollocking for for running around running amok as she often does, and um, in the middle of this, Yorin from the Night's Watch turns up. Mm. Now this is the guy who was escorting Tyrion back to King's Landing, so it's kind of obvious what news he has for Ned when mm. he comes in. Says I've got something I've got to tell you and I need to tell you in private. Yeah, um, we we don't actually hear what he tells Ned because this this chapter is from Arya's point of view and she's taken off by one of uh, her dad's household guards, who's called Desmond. And it, it's quite funny because um, she she ruse the fact that it's Desmond who's taking her back to her room and not Fat Tom, who's another one of the guardsmen, because <laughs> she thinks that she'd be able to sort of manipulate Fat Tom into letting her stay for a bit longer because he's a bit soft. <laughs> but Des- Desmond's too wily for that. So... It's quite nice. It's quite a nice glimpse into some of the other characters in the Stark household who you won't hear much of. And also, it just fleshes out Arya's character a bit more again, isn't it? How she, she, she can do that. She's quite wily and manipulative when she needs to be, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, which is what gives you sort of hope. Is one of the reasons why you, I don't see her as a... Even though she's small and young and still learning and stuff, I don't see her as a, a particularly endangered character because she mm. she's got that... She's got all the political nous that Sansa doesn't have, 
hasn't she? He like she kind of she understands yeah. understands how people tick, whereas Sansa just understands how fairy tales tick, and there's a difference. Yeah. Uh, the next chapter is we move into to to Eddard, and as soon as I saw this heading, I thought, great, we'll hear the conversation between Ned and Yorin. Mm. But you don't. Um, it it's flicks forward, and to be honest, looking back, you don't really need to, do you? Because you know what Yorin's going to say to him, because he's he's just come from the inn where um, where Tyrion's been taken captive. Yeah. So yeah. So 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 so, so, so there's no. I quite like this. We don't, we don't sort of have to sit through that. We just go straight into the next bit. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's this argument, massive argument, over basically word has got back to to King's Landing that Daenerys is still alive and she is pregnant. And this has sent King Robert into an absolute frenzy. Mm. And he now desperately wants her dead because he's he's afraid that she'll have a son and he's going to attack Westeros eventually. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a long, um, sort of long-term threat, but um, considering how many other threats are circling Robert and he doesn't really know what to do with it, um, yeah. he is very, very concerned about this one. Well, it's an opponent he Go- can definitely kill, isn't it? That's the thing, is that so, he's yeah. surrounded by challenges he doesn't understand and battles that aren't the kind of battles he's built to fight. And then he's got what he's got here is... A, a, a you know an, a person who he can think of as a threat and therefore legitimately in his head try and kill despite the fact that it's an unborn child and you really mm. see how fear and paranoia doubtless perfectly you know kind of pitched by the small council and all of their machinations how fear and paranoia mm. can turn can turn even somebody who's you know he you know he's a larger than life character but he's not He's, he hasn't done anything that we think of as like really evil. Can turn them into mm. an infanticidal maniac. Yeah, yeah. He uses this word. I mean, we've had this conversation about whether or not he's had this conversation with Ned about maybe assassinating Daenerys before. And he, as he, as he did last time, he refers to any any Targaryen as dragon spawn. Hmm. Um, because he and it's just he, he sees them as less than human, doesn't he? Well, I, does um, he? I, I think that's an interesting title, though, because the dragons were clearly Viserys Targaryen thinks being the dragon makes him more than human, and yeah. you know you've got to say that sounds more plausible because of the fear that the, the mm. quote dragon spawn kind of make in Robert's heart. So he, he may think that he's saying you know less than scum, but really what he's saying is I'm really frightened of these people. You know, like how yeah. how else how else can an unborn child be be seem to pose such a threat that you're willing to kill his mother? Yeah. Um. Th- this this argument moves into it. The, there are two sides. On one side, you've got kill the mother and son, and the king wants to do that, and his brother Renly backs that. Varys backs it. Wicka Wicka Grandmaster Pycelle <laughs> backs it, and 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 Littlefinger backs it. And on the other side, arguing against it, you've got Ned and Barristan Selmy, who's the, the Lord Commander of the King's Guard, mm. um, who's a very sort of honour before everything kind of guy. He's the most similar character to Ned on the council, really. Yeah, yeah. And also, um, we <laughs> another reason for why he might be more predisposed to sort of mercy is we hear that when um, during the rebellion, uh, Bar- Sir Barristan fought on um, the Targaryen side. Mm. And at the end of the battle, um, 
they decided what to do with him and Ned decided to keep him alive and the king decided to as well eventually. Yeah. Um, and one of Ned's bannermen called Roos Bolton, who we find out throughout the series is a particularly ruthless character, mm. he was urging him to, to kill Barristan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ned decided not to and he's basically saying, look at that turned out and you can't just you know, be always be ruthless. It's not always the best way to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously, the the majority of the council against him. It turns into an enormous, very personal argument between Ned and and Robert. Yeah, and it ends in Ned's resignation as hand of the king. Yeah, and and at this point, at this point, at the end of that, all I'm thinking is run away. Like, yeah, because so yeah. so. You know, the, his, his, the news is now at court that Ned's wife has just taken Tyrion Lannister hostage, so that's going to piss off the Queen, and the Queen has a lot of pull. You know, it's going to piss mm. off the guy who's financing this whole thing, the Queen's father, and so all you want to do, or you want just want to stand on your chair and be like, just run! You've resigned! Brilliant! Yeah. Just jump in, just jump on a horse get and get the hell out of Dodge. Yeah, and to be fair to Ned, that's his first instinct, Yeah, and he, 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 he tells his household, you know, Pack up, we're off. Um, and it, just just one little side. He he refers to a character who's with him as Tomard, and um, he's, he's Fat Tom. But obviously, Arya refers to him as Fat Tom, and Eddard calls him Tomard. <laughs> I just thought it was quite nice. Yeah, that, the two different cool. perspectives of the same character. Um, but just as they're getting ready to go, um, and he's working out how to head back, and he's thinking of taking his ship so we can go and see Stannis at Storm's End. Mm. Um, Littlefinger arrives mm. and says, so there's this brothel you might want to check out which has got a clue if you're still interested in working out what happened to John Arryn. And Ned just can't resist it. And he says, oh. well, I'll go and take a look. So he gets his, he gets a couple of uh, his most trusted members of his household and he decides to head off to uh, do one, have, take one last look at this, this trail before he leaves. Mistake. Mistake, and so this everybody's thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? This is the the time when I'm yelling. If it's a movie, I'm yelling at the screen. Don't go there. Yeah. Don't just get out. Yeah. Don't go into the cellar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's down there. Don't go in there. He's gonna yeah. hack you to bits. Particularly since yeah, I... the tip comes from Littlefinger. I mean, come on, Littlefinger yeah. is not a trustworthy individual. But he, but he has been helping him so far, and from Ned's point of view, he's getting ready to go. Yeah. What does one last quick look? Do you, well. If you're thinking strategically, what what does visiting a brothel going to do to um, to make to change things? He may as well have a look. Well, yeah, but all oh, right. The flip side of that is if you've already told your wife to ready the defences at the neck, and you're already in a place where you're thinking it's going to be a civil war, and you're going to have to do that. Why stick around? Why? Mm. Oh, yeah, Ned. I think he is—he is a bit conflicted in this. Was he sort of deciding to go? He is still conflicted because he does feel like he's abandoning Robert. Yeah, and he now knowing what he knows that there are—I mean, there's been an attempt on Robert's life already, and he is abandoning his his old, almost best friend to this terrible fate of being just surrounded by enemies. Mm. But you know. At the same time, yeah, he knows the right move now for him 
is to get out of there. Well, and plus, I think he has a sense of, you know, Robert's damned by his own hand at this point. He's made his argument yeah. very strongly. And on the basis of being an old friend, saying this isn't who you are, you know, don't do this. Yeah. This is not what your kingship needs to be about. And he's been mm. smacked down. And it's the king's prerogative to decide what sort of a king he's going to be. And it's Ned's prerogative to be like, well, I'm sorry, your honour doesn't trump my honour any day. Um, mm. Which is actually, I've not thought of that before, but it's interesting, isn't it? Like, you have this idea of the, you know, the Starks being the descendants of the kings in the north and these people who, you know, there was only one of them who knelt to a king and then after that. But you still have this sense of the north being an almost independent state. And it's mm. interesting that Ned Stark at that moment, rather than doing what I think many other characters would do, which is say, yes, my lord, you are the king. You know, I'll do what you tell me to do. His thing is, no, my honour trumps your kingship. And, mm. and and you know, and he gets ready to go off back north. And it's not secession. It's not, you know, armed rebellion or uprising against the king. But it is saying, let's be clear here about where my priorities come from. They come from me and then mm. they come from you not the other way around, yeah. which is not how kingship is supposed to work in this kind of place. Yeah. <clears throat> um, let's go on to Caitlin. Yep. Um, this is the, she's arrived at the Eyrie. Uh, they've arrived at the Eyrie, at the her group. Eyrie. Uh, Sorry. At the Eyrie. Um, <laughs> but it's, it was a close-run thing. They've been attacked twice more, and they've lost more of their party. Mm. And um, you feel like they were very close to being wiped out completely when they made it to... Uh, the safety of the Eerie. Um, so um, we get a sense of just how remote this place is. You've mentioned it already, Dave, but um, to get up to the Eerie, you've got to climb effectively a cliff for ages. Yeah. And um, and the various parts of it where um, you could quite easily be killed. Yeah. Um, D- and that's, that, and that, that's, that's without someone trying to keep you out. So it seems like a very, very safe place comparatively yeah and uh, do you know what i was reading this and all the way through i was thinking oh i wish that they'd filmed this you know because it's quite in the tv series they just sort of turn up and and it's high up right and it's you know it's imposing and it's the rest of it but you don't have the same sense that the book gives you of this kind of terrifying inch by inch kind of climbing up a mountain yeah a fortified yeah. mountain as you know like what an amazing idea fortifying an entire mountain um yeah i tell you the thing that it made me think of this is a bit weird um have you ever played the um the computer game half-life classic computer game uh, no, I haven't. No. Oh, if you're not right, well, okay, I won't. I won't spoil it for you. But there's 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 a there's a sequence. It's the original Half Life from like '97. I played it when I was 13. Yeah. And just loved it. And um, there's a sequence from about halfway through it where you're um, uh, you you have to climb down the side of a cliff, or you, there's a, there's a whole sequence that's on the edge of a cliff. And so obviously, yeah. if you step over the edge, you just fall to your death. And but you're still being shot at by various people, and there's gun emplacements, <laughs> and at one point there's a helicopter that tries to kill you, and you have to shoot them down. And <laughs> you know you run around the corner into a cave, and there's a guy there with a shotgun next to your nose, and it's just it's it's yeah. just um, it's just a great action sequence in a video game, and and it made me think of that because it's just because the whole time through that whole sequence, what you're aware of is if I just twitch a little bit to the right, I'm going to fall to a horrible horrible death. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and it's like that, and it oh oh, it's so atmospheric, <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um. So they, they they do make it to the top. One of the people who lead, sort of one of the people employed to help people get to the top of the mountain, is a girl called Maya Stone, 
And um, when Maya Stone introduces herself to Caitlin, she has this flash of hatred straight away, and it's because Stone is this sort of the eerie version of Snow. You know, it's, it's what oh, bastards yeah, are, it's the bastard are, are called. Yeah, and she immediately mm. dislikes this girl because it reminds her of John. It just shows again how deep that that scar is uh, for Caitlin. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, and she she does. She, I mean, she chastises herself for it, but um, still, you know, you feel what you feel, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but up at the up at the eerie, we um, we were introduced to a couple of other important characters as well. Um, one is uh, Bryden T- Tully, called the Blackfish, who is um, Caitlin's uncle, and <clears throat> he is. I mean, the Blackfish is a humorous sort of play on sort of the black sheep of the family because the <laughs> the family cre- the family crest for for Caitlin's house the Tullys is is a fish yeah, so he's the yeah, black fish yeah um has a somewhat strained relationship with her father but is all has always been quite a maybe more of a father figure to her and her sister than her dad was because her dad was busy obviously being the lord of a very important part of the of Westeros yeah yeah and Brian uh her her uncle, the Blackfish, had a bit more of time to sort of maybe build up a relationship with these two girls. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you can see there's a very warm relationship there between the two of them. Um, <clears throat> we also hear that um, Lysa, who, who who is effectively running this part of the country now, mm. um, for, forbade all of her knights to go to this tournament in King's Landing because mm. she's so paranoid about being attacked. Um, so she kept everybody up in the veil. This is this is, this is John Aaron's to... wife, right? <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you can kind well, of she, understand she, that. Yeah. So she she's run off after yeah some kind of assassination attempt on her husband, and has decided to keep all the all her power base very firmly up in the veil. Um, the interesting thing I wanted to mention is I, I said before this guy uh, Bronze Jon Royce who I spoke who was at the tournament. Mm. He is a bannerman for um for the Arons. Mm. So he, he is one of one of Lysa's knights. Or he I mean he's, oh. he's he's one of the people who are who's sworn to her. And he's turned up down there. And he's gone now, anyway. I, and yeah. Now I don't know if when she says she's told her knights not to go, it's just her household mm. and the others could. Or if but it's he the is the most, as well. Yeah, yeah. And he is the most powerful of her bannermen. So if she's really paranoid you wouldn't think she'd want him to be trotting off down to King's Landing, but he's gone. And that just makes me think, you know, we, we get this feel throughout these chapters of strained relationships in this area. Since the le- since John Arryn's died, who was the leader of, of them all, yeah. there's a bit of a power vacuum because he's just got his son yeah. now who's sitting in there um, and is obviously, as we find out, uh, just a victim of a bit of an overbearing mother. So that's, there is a bit of a power vacuum up here. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and you know uh, that would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? You know, for uh, somebody like uh, like Royce to be, well, it's only his wife, isn't it? Oh, you know, yeah. Go go and have, have a bit of a jolly. Um, yeah. As foolish as that may turn out to be. Um, yeah. yeah. And we find out what the fate of Tyrion. Oh, we've come closer to finding out Tyrion's fate. Where um, Robert, the who's the uh, the little uh, the little boy who's now the sort of de facto ruler in this area, uh, uh, Lysa's son, or John Aaron's son, um, wants mm-hmm. to see Tyrion killed, and 
they're, they're sort of trying to work out how to do that without breaking any kind of law, and that's where we leave that chapter. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, Which it's a lovely place to leave it, isn't it? Heartwarming moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious the, about their, their desire for a good legal reason to do that sort of thing. Just, I mean, do you not know you've already started a war? In doing that, there isn't a diplomatic solution to this. You know, he's too yeah. close to one power base and you're married to the other power base, so there's going to be yeah. a war, you know, like... Yeah, I think there's just a need, especially if if um, if Lysa has got a bit of a shaky power base up here, there needs to be an element of justice being seen to be done. She can't just kill someone on a suspicion. So... Yeah. You know, I mean, they could have arranged for him to have some kind of accident, I suppose. But yeah. word will get back to to the Lannisters either way. Yeah. Uh, we'll move over to the final chapter for today, which is an Eddard chapter. Oh. And uh, Ned's been to visit this brothel and seen another one of Robert's bastards. Basically, this uh, there's a there's a girl in this brothel who's had a child, obviously Robert's, yeah. and uh, oh, the king King Robert's. And Ned comes away thinking again, this is all very interesting, but it's just another another bastard, so what? Another, another black-haired bastard, so what? Yeah, and you <laughs> you can kind of imagine, can't you? Because it's not, you know, he is against the clock. I think he has to be feeling a sense of peril. And he's like, yeah. all right, little finger, despite having no good reason to trust you, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to head down there, I'm going to see what's what. And yeah. And then he goes down there and sees what's what. And you can just imagine him being like, oh... Well, yeah. Um, thank you, madam, for showing me your baby with, yes, astonishing, a resemblance to the king. I'll be yeah. off now so me and my family don't get killed. Yeah. Um, he does seem like a bit of an anticlimax for him, this, doesn't yeah. he? After the, uh, after the After having this little tip-off from Littlefinger bit, you know. Yeah, but has so, he not so, learned so, by now not to trust Littlefinger? Hmm. Anyway... So, so, so they they leave the they leave the brothel. <laughs> um, he sort of it, one of his guardsmen is sitting playing dice with one of the whores, and he just sort of taps him on the heel. He taps him on the heel and says, "Come on, we're going." So he sort of has to drop everything. He's yeah. like, "Oh, great!" Um, so they're heading out, but on the way back, they're ambushed by the Lannisters. Um, a load of Lannister guardsmen appear in front of them and behind them, and. Uh, and this is where things go south very quickly. And yeah. the the interesting thing is, in in the series, this is a sword fight, man on man, basically. Yeah. Um, and in the in the books here, uh, it's it's basically a. I I mean, I prefer this. And again, it's the thing of no budget. It's a sort of the, you've got Ned and his three guardsmen on horseback, uh, and all these other all these all these Lannisters on foot, basically. And Jamie wanders off. Mm. And it's a basically a fight to the death in the rain. Yeah. Um, and it's much it feels much more atmospheric, and um, and I, I really enjoyed this part of the chapter. Yeah. Uh, as much as you can uh, when you're seeing your favourite characters losing, but basically, Jamie Lannister yeah. turns up and says, "Look, what's happened to my brother?" And and Ned's pretty defiant and says he was taken on on my orders. It had nothing to do with my wife. And uh, that just sends James. You know, James has got a bit of a short temper. Yeah. And he draws his sword and is like, "Right, I'm going to kill you." Yeah. And Ned pulls out his ace, what he thinks is his ace in the hole. At first, he says, "I'm the hand of the king. You can't do that." Yeah. 
And Jamie's like, well, you're not anymore. And <laughs> so, he thinks, oh, shit. shit you, you, you are right, but wait, wait, because <laughs> so I've got he's another got, argument. <laughs> he does. He's got his final ace in the hole, which is, if you kill me, then my wife's going to kill Tyrion. So you can't kill me. Yeah. And Jamie gets his final um, sort of wins, I suppose, by saying, well, I suppose not. But he orders his men to kill Ned's uh, three guardsmen, who are... Uh, one of them is Jory Castle and the other two are Huel and Will, they're called. Yeah. And that's what happens. So it turns into this big bloody fight. Uh, Littlefinger runs off. And, uh, of course he does. Jamie, of course he does. Yeah, J- Jamie leaves in a, like, an evil villain sort of way, leaves the others to the fair. <laughs> and... Yeah, you, I, you did hear organ music in the background, didn't you? Jamie sweeps away, <laughs> yeah. going... <laughs> and the organ crashed. <laughs> No, 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 in the background, yeah. leaving bloodbath behind him. Yeah, and and the, the three, uh, the, the four uh, Starks make a hell of an effort trying to get away. Uh, Hugh and Will are killed very quickly, but Jory manages to cut himself free and actually escapes, um, but then comes charging back in to help uh, Ned, and he's killed. And in the end, uh, Ned is, is sort of falls beneath his horse, ends up with a crushed leg. <sighs> And uh, is is left in the driving rain, cradling the body of Jory Castle in his arms. So, it's yeah. a it's a pretty dramatic end to the chapter. It is, and you're wondering what's going to happen. Hmm. Yeah, because I mean, this is this is this is outright war now, isn't it? It is, and and it's kicked off. And there's a bit of you that thinks, okay, far away from King's Landing, you know, Caitlin's caught up to by Lannister, Bannerman. You know, that's going to be bad. But there's something about having it happen with Ned Stark and Jamie Lannister just down the road from where the king is that it's going to get mm. big quickly. You know, there's, there's, there's going to be yeah. no slow burn about this. Yeah, and th- these people who have been killed as well, especially Jory, he, you get the feeling he is a very close uh, friend to, to, to Ned as well. Yeah. He's one of the people he tr- when when they said earlier in the book when Lysfing said, "Is there anyone in your household who you trust entirely?" Mm. He's the guy that Ned turns to. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like you killed a couple of his underlings as well. It's it's this is a a real attack on some of the really close people in his household. Yeah. yeah. It's also worth noting the poor bloke that Huel, poor guy, he was, he was dicing with a prostitute ten minutes ago. And now he's dead. Spear in his belly, and he's dead. And again, it's just how quickly things, you know, how quickly life can be snuffed out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and we're set up for a great one next time. I, I can't wait. This is. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, like, like we like we said last time, isn't it? This is just this just continues to accelerate. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. So if if you're reading along with us for, for next week, we've got a a nice long um, chunk of the book to get through again. So we'll be going from the next chapter. Um, which is uh, Daenerys begins the horse gates of Vast Dothrak on page 373, all the way to page 483, which is a chapter about Sansa, which starts with her saying he wouldn't send Sir Loras. So um, that's what you read if you read along with us for next week. And uh, and yeah, and that's that. Um, any final thoughts on this part of the book, Dave? Not at all. Um, just that I think we've really started to. There's, there feels like there's more depth in the world. Like we've had a lot of character stuff, but now we're starting to mm. see kind of intrigues, possibly with people from abroad, possibly not. You know, we've uh, we've seen how how the realm you know celebrates how they do tournaments and so on, 
and um, mm. and and we've seen the Eerie, um, which is just has to rank as one of the all-time great locations uh, to to set <laughs> any kind of set pieces in a fantasy world. Um, and uh, yeah, he's, he, I love that we just every time George Martin seems to like open up the um, uh, the open up the kind of focus on Westeros, it just gets turns out to be filled with more and more fascinating things. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely not an easy place to be, uh, mm. but it's fascinating to watch. Uh, if you've any comments to make on this on the podcast or on the uh, on the book so far, do get in touch. Uh, the email address is sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail dot com, or you can get us on Twitter. That's at sharkliveroil. Fabulous. You use that. Okay. Well, um, we'll. We'll leave it at that for this week, and uh, until next time, uh, yeah, happy reading. Bosh.